No. Ah, much better. Now, get ready for an uncivilized discussion about faith. Welcome, welcome to, to the, the Barbarian, Barbarian Prophets. Oh, welcome back there, Barbarian Nation. So, a couple of quick things. I know everybody's been wondering where I'm at because I actually got a... A text message here the other day from a brother that said, uh, is something happened to your equipment? Is something happening to you? What is going on that we're not hearing from you? <clears throat> I did uh, only really miss a week. So uh, thanks for missing me if you've missed me. And um, I got to I gotta give you guys a quick explanation of where I've been. I was not kidnapped by Sasquatch, as some people have assumed. And the other thing that has not transpired, <coughs> excuse me, or... or taken place is i was not um abducted by people back east and uh, held hostage i was none of those crazy things that i keep hearing most people joking so here's the deal uh, i spent about a week out in ambridge as all of you are pretty much aware and during my time in ambridge pennsylvania i was at something called the nals <clears throat> the NALS is the North American Lutheran Seminary. And as you are all very much aware, I have become a Lutheran. And I have a great deal of people ask me why I've become a Lutheran. And most of the time, I'll be real honest with you, the answer is because God told me this is what we were doing, so this is what we're doing. But as I've went along, I've kind of figured out a few things is I am exactly where he wants me in the NALC, which is the North American Lutheran Church. Now, one of the reasons that he wanted me here is for my own growth, for starters, but also for me to start introducing things into here, because I am definitely a kind of a person that when you teach me something uh, and I see it, understand it, believe it, and stand on it, uh, I am unmoving and unrelenting. I am definitely one of those people that when they come to arrest us and behead us, or they come to arrest us and feed us to the animals, or whatever the case is going to be, then let's get it on, because I just, uh, I'm never going to turn my back on Christ. And the reason I'm doing so is not because I'm extra brave, it's not because I'm an extra special person because I'm a pastor. What it is, is that he is the truth, and how would we ever reject that? But I watch people reject it all the time, and, you know, let's uh, let's bounce through to a couple of things. For one, when I came to Christ, which is very well known uh, in how to do that, you can look that up on uh, YouTube. Just type in Bert Eldridge, Story of Hope. Uh, you can also um, check it out via the book, From the Club to the Cross, Uh and you can buy that on Amazon, or if you live here in Casper, you can go down to Cascade Coffee. They carry copies of it. Uh, the other thing you can do is swing by the church, Prince of Peace Lutheran Church at 2300 East 15th Street, and we will have copies of it there as well. But here's the thing. When, uh, I, when I first got saved, I came into a Baptist church for uh, about two years, not a short period of time, for about two years. And and the pastor there, his name was Wes Cannell, and I was learning how to get through the Bible and stuff to that effect. So I was involved in about every kind of Bible study that I could find. And the other thing that happens is while I'm doing all of that, um, 
Wes ends up uh, leaving the Baptist church. And uh, when he had left, um, I left as well. I went out the door with him. And uh, he, there wasn't an anger thing. It was just time to become go different direction. And I fell into a very, I will call it a Pentecostal-style church or a very charismatic church, being fully indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And that church was called uh, Hope, uh, Community of Hope Church back in those days. <clears throat> and I was, uh, I was there for 12 years. And while I was there... What had happened is uh, I really came into functioning with my brother Don Hinton and Tony Patera and Fred Bruner and all those guys. I really started learning how to operate in the Holy Spirit, how to learn to be quiet when we're praying, how to uh, be aware of what he's saying, how to have courage to step out and speak. Not only that, I was going to Bible college at that time through the Christian Life School of Theology Global. That's CLSTG. You can look them up online. Christian Life School of Theology Global. I would strongly recommend that for a Bible college for any person. Now, you could do that at home on your computer. You don't have to go to a classroom for that. I went to a classroom, but you don't have to nowadays. So it is definitely a way to go. And, uh, you know, as I, as I poured through that, I really learned how to, uh, do what is called hermeneutics. Um, definitely how to let the Bible interpret the Bible. Uh, let God's word start to become very open to you. Uh, let, uh, let the things that, that God has laid out, uh, in the pages of, uh, the Holy Bible, the separated out Bible, that important piece. And not only that, I learned a great deal about what the apocryphal books meant, which ones were worth reading, which ones were questionable, uh, stuff to that effect. And as we truck along with all that stuff, I started to really grow in my faith uh, because God kept growing me. He kept pouring more into me. And the more he poured into me, the more willing I was to be poured into. So what ends up happening is eventually, you know, they start handing you degrees, and that just always seems like a brag to me. But, um, you know, eventually, I'm going to tell you this. When you get your first master's degree, uh, most people, <laughs> I kind of chuckle because most people usually only get one master's degree because um, it's a lot of work. Uh, when you get your first master's degree, you learn just how stupid you are. By the time you get your second master's degree and then a doctorate, you learn that you completely don't know anything about anything. And what happens is you just simply uh, need to trust what God's word is saying and sometimes just get out of his way and allow him to love people through you. Because one thing that I will always teach you and as I teach all of my students, the opposite of love is not hate. Hate is the opposite of peace because hate always leads to war. But the opposite of love is anybody? Are you thinking about it? It's use. When people use each other. So, you know, one thing that happens one day I'm traveling down the road and God says, you know, I've never used you, Bert. I said, oh, you haven't? He goes, no, you always tell everybody I, you that the opposite of love is use, and uh, I love through you. I don't use you. And from that day forward, 
it became a very powerful thing for me to understand that the things that I do, I don't do them because God is using me. I'm not a tool that gets uh, thrown back into a drawer when he's done. I'm not a, uh, I'm not a person that is just uh, here today and gone tomorrow or any of that stuff. What I am is I am an instrument of his love. And uh, I feel very blessed uh, to be that. And uh, it also lays a burden on me that when I am speaking to always remember that uh, why I exist is for my Savior to love other people through me. There is, uh, so let's truck on with the story, is that as I learned all these things and grew in my faith and uh, I preached and taught in numerous places i've always uh i've been in the county jail uh for years uh preaching and teaching every week uh at the prison i've been for a decade better than a decade now uh preaching teaching uh, a couple times a month and in the mission uh, i've been on and off preaching and teaching there for almost two decades and in doing so what I've always tried to do is make sure that I share the truth of the word. I let people ask me questions, and that is one reason that I stayed so deep in going to school and pressing forward to get the education I got is because I wanted to be able to properly answer those questions. And when they answered them, I didn't want to answer them with my opinion. I wanted to answer them with the truth, with what the Bible said. So I wanted to be able to rummage around in the Bible and say, nope, that's where this says that, and this is how this works. But even at all of that, what ends up happening is, uh, what ends up happening is um, we see people uh, that can take any chunk of word and twist it. And I'm very cautious with that because I, I don't like to get into combat with those people because they become so right that they would rather destroy everybody around them and everything around them and be right rather than actually work with a person to help uh, point out Christ to them. So I always find that very bizarre. Um. There are several things that I see within the Christian faith that all often makes me kind of scratch my head with people, but I realize that those are just people, and they are not Christ himself. For Christ is not angry at us, and he is not going to make these uh, spectacular demands and try to crush us and kill us if you don't do what I say. You know, that just I just don't see that. The other thing that happens is, as we start to take a look at all of the things with the Bible, you realize there are no contradictions in it. I hear people say that there are all the time. I haven't been able to find them. When they say this contradicts that, it's mostly because they don't understand what they're reading or they're taking one line completely out of context and slamming it against something else. But each piece of that word is meant to be read in a spiritual nature. You know, when you're trying to find your salvation through your own brain, through your own knowledge, through your own secret understanding, that's usually where you get lost because you'll eventually turn to the one person that you trust. And when you turn to that one person that you trust, he'll always betray you. And that's yourself because you have a tendency to always battle against God. And when we find that we are 
not working for him or working towards him or working for all these things, what happens is eventually it, it really kind of messes us up because we want to be able to achieve things. That's, that's the nature of humanity. But with Christ, he says, I've achieved all things. And he did that fully as a human being. And when he did that fully as a human being, he did that so you would have a path to him. He drank the cup of wrath so that you could have a cup of grace. And I'm going to tell you, you need to really learn how to drink from that. You know, just a real brief story on that is when I was at church yesterday, uh, this is a Monday, it's happy 4th of July, everybody, because this will be out for the 4th of July. But when I was preaching here on July 2nd, one of the things that God had laid on my heart was my people are not seeing. And I just had to get out of his way and let him preach the sermon he needed taught. And one of the things that was said in the midst of all of that was that I have provided you everything you need. You know, people think they always have to find a new understanding. And sometimes that understanding is within you. you He's already know he already knows what it is. Just like a walnut is fully a tree, it still looks like a walnut to you. But everything that ever is going to make that tree, that oak tree, it's all inside that nut. It's all inside of that encapsulated in there and waiting for its moment. And as it dies and it breaks apart and the things around it begin to dissipate and disappear. The next thing you know, solid roots grow. And I think that's what happened when I first came to Christ and started spending time in these churches with these very well-rounded Christian men that both fully believed Scripture with all their hearts and were not lost in the Spirit, but also walked in the hand-in-hand with the Spirit. Because those two things are very much needed. You have to be sound in your word. And you have to be sound in your understanding of the word. And you have to be open enough to allow God to do amazing things through you. To pour his love out on other people. And one of the things that happened the other day is when I was done preaching, I said, man, God, that was a, that's a tough message. I, I'm hoping the church somewhat received it. And uh, he had me stay at the altar and... Uh, pour all of the uh, communion and what was left over the communion into the chalice. And he said, drink this. And I said, and I started to eat the body and he said, I didn't ask you to eat the leftover bread. He said, I ask you to drink. And as I tipped it up to my mouth, he said, this is a cup of my grace. For I have taken the cup of vengeance and pain and suffering. So as you drink this cup week after week, remember is that when you come into me, I am what gives you peace. I am what show you what love is. I am all those things. That you are truly seeking and you'll never find inside yourself. And it just so moved me. 
that I just had to kind of take a moment there that and just process everything that happened. Everything that he was saying. That it wasn't always easy in it and that he's concerned for his people. And that he wants us concerned for his people too. Concerned enough to share the truth with them. Now how all this talk talk started was how I got to be a Lutheran. So I bounced around to several churches, and I love them all. And uh, one year he took me and walked me through 48 churches in a single year. And uh, he had a message for me at each one of them. And as I traveled through all of those churches, I I learned and I grew and I was able to see all different avenues, Southern Baptist, and I seen very heavy Pentecostal churches. I seen extremely intense prophetic churches. I went out to Bethel in uh, Redding, California, and took all of that in. And I took all these things in, and he's like, this is what my body looks like. And I started to realize is that all the churches he sent me to, they were all very different churches, and but very similar things were preached in each one of them. And, and as I traveled around to all these churches, what I definitely came to understand is that the Spirit of God was alive and active in all of them, even the ones that we don't think he is. He's there. Just because he isn't acting the way you want him to, just bear this in mind, you're not God. He, doesn't, he ain't there to entertain you. And you need to quit seeking entertainment from him. I want to feel that power of the Holy Spirit. I want to see this. We all have that bad tendency. We need to remember we serve him. He doesn't serve us. He's no genie in a book or genie in a bottle as it would be. So what happens one day is my friend Brent And I and our wives and uh, my buddy Mike and my buddy Norman were all praying in a chapel over at Restoration Church in Casper. And the Lord tells me, are you ready? And I said, I am. I'm ready to take a pulpit. And uh, immediately in my mind, I, I quit listening to him. I said, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. So when I stood up from there, I, I didn't even sit around to, to hear what he had to say. I, I, I heard him say what I wanted to hear him say, I guess. And so I popped to my feet and I, I tell, you know, I gather all my people there together because it's the end of the evening anyway. And I said, okay, so I'm going to take a pulpit. And they all look at me kind of funny because that is definitely something I never said I would do. And uh, I didn't say I wouldn't do it. I just never ever would say that I would do it. In fact, I used to do everything possible. When people would offer me churches, I would run away from you as hard as I could. And uh, my wife goes, so what does that mean? I said, you know, wait a minute. I I guess I don't know what that means. I, I, I'm sure that we'll figure it out. It's probably going to be a Hebrew root church because I, I really like Hebrew roots and, you know, all this other stuff. <clears throat> so what ends up happening is that was in June and uh of uh 2021 and uh so then what ends up happening is uh i'm up in alaska well i I end up doing this wedding that that weekend uh and uh i run into this guy he says uh hey uh do you preach and i said yeah and he goes hey um you know we 
I'm a Lutheran. I'm at a Lutheran church. And I said, okay. And I thought, well, okay, that's interesting. Lutherans have never let me inside their church to preach, that's for sure. I'm too charismatic um, by that standard, I guess. And uh, what he ended up saying was, uh, no, we're just looking for somebody. You just have to preach for about 10, 15, or well, about 15, 20 minutes, and uh, uh, we'll give you the uh, stuff to preach on. And I was like, oh, you control my preaching? And they're like, no, we'll give you the words for worship. And I'm like, well, I. Will the songs be on the board? Because I didn't understand what he was talking about. And uh, what he ended up doing was uh, sending me some stuff, the readings for the day. And I was like, oh, they tell you what you can preach on. This is cool. No problem. I'm an educator. I can educate. So what ends up happening is I tell him, yeah, I'll talk to you when I get back from Alaska. And uh, I leave for Alaska. And while I'm in Alaska... My boss ends up reaching out to me and tell, telling me after I worked for him for 20 years, uh, at that point I think 22 years roughly, is that they, uh, they're they selling the company. So all of a sudden I'm hit with, I ain't going to have a job, and uh, which is no big deal. Um, I'm very employable. Um, got a good reputation as a safety uh, director. And uh, so what ends up happening is right as soon as I hang out with this, the other guy calls, uh, Alan. He calls me, and Alan says, hey, man, you got to make a choice. I said, well, Alan, you just pick one for me, and I'll preach it. Well, do you need time to prepare? Not really, man. You just you'd lay down anything, and I can preach a word on it. And he goes, okay, because they've never seen that before. You give me any part of the Bible, I'll preach on it. You give, tell me I got an hour, I got an hour. You tell me I got five minutes, I'll take an hour. Just kidding. I'll, take, <laughs> I'll try to stay within that five-minute range. So what ends up happening is uh, I get back, um, deal with the work thing, uh, which gave me a job until December, and then I end up going in and I preach in this church and I watch them do all the liturgy, and it was the first time I was really, you know, I paid attention to it somewhat, but not really, and when it came my turn, I mean, they kind of point a finger at me, and there I am, I get up and I preach my bit, and when I'm done, all of them are like looking at me and I'm like, okay, well this is either really good or really bad. And they said, Hey, would you mind coming back and doing that again? I said, sure. Not a problem. I can do it one more time. I've got to start processing and looking for work. So I do. And I come back and they say, Hey, can you do it a couple times next month? And then next thing they said, Hey, can you help us with Christmas? I did not know what that meant in a Lutheran church. I just want to point that out. When you think Christmas, I'm like, wow, that's the big show. You know, the Christmas Eve is the biggest time in church other than Easter. But yeah, man, I'll, I'll do that for you. That's no problem. And so they'd asked me that in, in October and I didn't realize why is because starting in November, you're at church like, several times a week and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. So it was in every Sunday and in every, I was like, Oh, I thought it was just Christmas Eve. Now it becomes a whole thing. So in the meantime, here back in October, the Lord says, you need to put in for that church. And I said, I, uh, I'm not a Lutheran Lord. So we're going to do this church thing. Let's do the church thing. But that ain't the kind of church for me. And so I put in an application because the Lord told me to. And I got back a letter from the general secretary. It said, you're not really our cup of tea, basically. I'll just be polite about it. It's, 
I just, I don't have any Lutheran background. I don't have any Lutheran understanding. They don't understand my education. Uh, they don't understand. I didn't go to any uh, certified Lutheran college, all this other stuff, right? So that's cool. Uh, I was I was fine with that. I was like, all right, Lord, we you know we did it. They said no, so uh, stomp my feet and go away. I get it. And uh, a few days later, my friend Alan, the guy that asked me to preach over there, he calls me back to the church and he says, or not to the church, but to his house, and he says, hey, I need you to come over today at uh, after work. And I said, I'm busy after work. And he says, great, I'll see you at two o'clock. He moved the meeting up by two hours, and I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. I'll just punch a hole in my day. So my wife and I hop on our bikes and we we end up over at his house and he says, only God can do this. Only God can do this. And I said, what's that? And he said, I need you to read this. So he sets down this piece of paper and that he'd printed off the computer and it just came from a big meeting they'd had in October. And uh, I'm reading it and I said, Alan, I, I don't understand what I'm reading here. So please point it out. He said, they changed the rules for hiring pastors. They just opened the door for you. And I said, what? He goes, Lutherans have hired pastors the same way for 500 years, but today they've changed their minds. And I was like, okay. And I, I don't know if that's necessarily 100% accurate, but I'm pretty sure it's pretty close to accurate because they have certain requirements. So what ends up happening is, sure enough, I get a letter and it says, hey, would you, would you reapply? So I do. I reapply. And I fill it out under this thing called ordination under special circumstances. Now, mind you, I'm already a licensed and uh, commissioned pastor, which holds a little different office than uh, ordination. Ordination is about running a church. It's just not about being a pastor. Um, It is about being a person that is literally uh, holds the keys of office and, uh, uh, has certain requirements when it comes to that. Now, I, you know, in the other end of things, I'm totally pretty much the same thing. Uh, we don't call it ordination because ordination is about running a church, and I, I was not running a church. I chose not to run a church at that point in time. So what ends up happening is uh, we start jumping through all these hoops. You know, they they... They're kind of trying to figure out how to clear a path for me, and I'm kind of an odd duck, and they don't really know what to do with me. But what ends up happening is they eventually create a path for me, and uh, they send me to my first schooling. And my first schooling schooling is with uh, Dr. Yoder, uh, Nathan Yoder. If you're listening, shout out to you, brother. Uh, Appreciate you more than you'll ever know. And the other one is uh, a man we call the good pastor, and that's all of us call him the good pastor because he is the good example of what a good pastor is supposed to look like. He he would never tell you that, but I will tell you that. The pastor Wisner is is wise man. He is he is the epitome of a good man. And he is a man so dedicated to God that he is completely just a surrendered human being. And i he's still human. He still makes mistakes. He still does all kinds of things. I'm positive. But I'm going to tell you, when you're around him, you feel loved. You feel overwhelmed with joy to be around that man. And so as those two men walk me through 
understanding how the process works with things like um, communion and understanding the process for bringing the communion into a room and not just bringing it into a room, but uh, the reverence that we treat it with and where all that comes from and everything. As they're teaching this class, I literally... I'm struggling back tears, and I and some of them sneak out. You know, that happens on occasion. Because as I'm listening to how they handle the communion, how they treat the wine, how they treat the bread, and how they reverence it, it becomes something that is not just a symbol. It becomes literally the prophetic part of God that we need. And as I take a strong look at that, all of a sudden I realize that the whole time I've been taking communion, I've been taking it as something that's a representation of something that happened, not as something that is currently happening. And all of a sudden my mindset towards the NALC and towards the Lutheran church shifts to the point where I'm like, this is what I am supposed to be doing. I am to be a priest when I am handling the Lord's body and his blood and I'm delivering his word. I am to be a good priest, a priest that goes way back to the old stuff. It goes back all the way to Moses. And as it goes back to all those things, we start to realize that uh, he has provided us with stuff from the very beginning. In the very beginning, he read the law, Moses did, and the people's hearts were torn, and they turned to God. And in today, what we do is we hear the word read, and their hearts should be torn, and then they should hear this most amazing thing called the gospel, to where their hearts become open, And as they become open, what happens is they are able to come into contact with a God that loves them more than they can even possibly imagine. And the next part of things is they take us and they walk us through the baptism. And our, our perception, or my perception coming from the very other end, the very spiritual end of this, um, or the, I'll call it the very charismatic end, uh, becomes two different things. And they say, hey, this is what you do. Except for Pastor Weisner, he says, remember that when you bless this water, when you say what is called uh, Luther's baptismal prayer, when you say the prayer of Noah over it, and I was like, wait, whoa, whoa, what, what's that? And I and they showed us, they taught us. And uh, when he did that, he said, just remember this, you know, you know, a lot of people will treat this just as water. But bear in mind, it is just an holy thing. So treat it appropriately. And make sure that when you're handling the, the sacraments that you treat them appropriately. The presence of God is not dwelling inside the elements. The presence of God is the elements. You know, we're not looking at things in, um, like my Catholic brothers and sisters, I, I love you and, and I respect you. And they, they believe in something that is called transubstantiation and they're welcome to that. 
but my other brothers and sisters that are in the non-denominational end, and they're very much, they they will pray over you, and, and they'll say, man, you've got a sword in your back or a knife in your back or a spear in your knee or whatever, and they'll grab a hold of it spiritually, and they'll pray, and they'll twist, and they'll pull it out, and, and you'll go, oh, it feels better because what they did in the physical had a spiritual thing. But then they'll, they don't treat the communion the same. They don't treat that as, when I'm taking this in the physical, there's also something happening in the spiritual. And that's one thing that I want them to understand that I'm learning in the Lutheran faith. And then I want the Lutherans to understand why they believe that. Is because what we do in the physical does have a spiritual effect. And what happens in the spirit has a physical effect. Blah. Thanks for st- Thanks for sticking with my sticky tongue. But the other thing that happens is as I learned all this stuff, I started to go, wow, wow, this is all pretty amazing. So they send me to another school. They said, Bert, we're going to ordain you in this coming year. So I'm guessing before the end of this year, I'll be ordained through the NALC. And I'm going to tell you right now, I want ordained through the NALC. This is not something that God is forcing me into or anything to that effect. I truly believe in what the NALC stands for. I love the NALC. And the reason I say that is because I truly believe they are doing their absolute best to be a solid Western Orthodox church. Orthodox meaning orthodoxa, meaning right thinking, meaning they are sticking to to the script. They are sticking to what the Bible says. They are going to the old ways. And when we take a look at all of this, we start to realize that some of these things have been going on forever. So when I when I went to Ambridge here, and this is why I haven't been on the radio, is because my brain needed time to process, and I I didn't think about doing a podcast or anything else. I, I've actually needed time for my brain to process everything I learned out there because they threw so much information at me in such a short period of time that we started to learn about the ancient church fathers all the way back to the apostles. And then following that, you know, Irenaeus and Polycarp and, you know, all the boys. And you start to learn what they were combating. And all of a sudden I start to realize everything we're combating today is the same demons they combated then. All these things that you see in society right now that you think are new, they're not new. Those are old demons, new names. Same demons. And so when I start to take a look at what they're preparing us for in the NALC, it is how to combat these things. And even amongst the NALC, I don't think they fully understand all the things that they're preparing us for. And I don't think we understand everything we need prepared for. But we're all learning this together. And I truly believe Bishop Dan Selbo is definitely the man that is thinking that direction. Even though some people may think, well, you know, he's he's a nice guy, etc. No, I, I think he's got a thought process going. And when you when you turn around and you take a look at some of the, the other folks that are in those high positions, what happens is those folks are they're trying to take care of a large flock of people. 
And they're trying to prepare us as pastors to prepare our people. That even if we are not the generation that sees the coming of Christ, we have to be able to prepare the next generation for seeing him. And uh, that is what we're learning in these schools. And and one of the things that we, when we were at this school, there was a specific book. And I'm going to mention this guy's name a couple of times. And you'll hear me talk about him more in the future. In fact, at some point, I'm going to sit down and just do a show about him. And his name, his name was, uh, he's passed away now. His name was Bo Geertz. G-I-E-R-T-Z. Bo Geertz. And he was a... Um, he was a Lutheran pastor, uh, and then he became a Lutheran bishop of uh, Sweden. Uh, he lived from about 1905 to 1998, and when he was in his youth, he was what was called a militant atheist. But when he was in, now I want you to just think about that for a minute. A guy that was a militant atheist eventually became a bishop of a Lutheran church. That's cool. That is cool as all get out right there. But what ended up happening with him, he came from a place called uh, Gothenburg. Not Nebraska Gothenburg, by the way, but Gothenburg, Sweden. And... uh he ended up writing uh, writing everything that he thought uh, while he was bishop over there. And uh, he wrote a specific book called uh, The Hammer of God. It should be just required reading of every Christian period, in my opinion. And then he wrote this other book that if you're a Lutheran or you're a liturgical church, meaning that you read the liturgy, that you follow that process of church. Not saying other churches are wrong, I'm just talking about the liturgical churches here. That this should be required reading for you. Because he tells you two things in this. He says you need to have a spiritual awakening. I mean, I got so many marks in this book. Uh I know I'm going to have to read it two or three times. But he has a specific part in this book it is says litur- liturgy and the spiritual awakening and i wrote myself a note next to that title it says hang on every word of this section because all of this applies to where we are developing the church and i see i see why god has brought me here to this church to specifically Prince of Peace is because these people are willing to learn. They're willing to grow. They're willing to change. A lot of people think with a liturgical church, well, the Holy Spirit can't be alive in that. The Holy Spirit is fully alive in there. If you need him to have you all hip-hop jumping on the floor, that is definitely not happening there. But I will tell you this. They are fully alive in the word of God. They are fully alive in their worship. Uh, I'm watching the worship uh, change right now to where I've done my absolute best to tear down the barriers to what what is called a hymn. Uh, 
David Bear, which is the dean of my district, he he made a great comment to me one day. He said, oh, there's modern day hymns, Bert. And I was like, that is right. So I researched what a good hymn was. And I was like, look, there are stacks of modern day hymns. And I told my church, don't forget the old ones, but you're welcome to these ones too. And they created these hundred hymns that they're going to do over the next couple of years that they said, and they and they sound alive when they sing, oh my word, my church has not sounded so awesome before, at least for me, <laughs> at least for me, they just sound so incredibly beautiful and their hearts are so ignited. It is just amazing. And that when the people know how the song goes and they're in the audience, they are participating and pouring themselves out. And I do have one of those weird Lutheran churches that they do have a tendency to say, amen, just randomly, not just because I told them to. And the other thing that happens is they're starting to bring their Bibles to church or they're quick to pull the one from a pulpit in front of them. And I make sure that I just don't stick to certain things, but I bounce to whatever God has for them that day. And I'm telling you, something's happening. I've seen several miracles that have taken place in that church, whether you want to believe them or not. I seen one of our ladies that was diagnosed with uh, Lou Garrett's disease, and they gave her a piece of paper that said that. And the church came together and prayed over her, and she went to the Mayo Clinic, and they said, now you ain't got Lou Garrett's disease. Now, You could take that any way you want. Well, those other doctors made a mistake. I'm telling you, those other doctors didn't make a mistake. And Mayo Clinic did not make a mistake. There's something that happened in between Hospital A and Hospital B. And it's a thing called Jesus. Jesus sat down in the middle of there. And my people seen it. And then I seen a young man that ended up going into a coma. Having a seizure that lasted numerous hours. And that's a whole story in itself. But I've seen him set free. And I've seen him recover. And the doctor said, yeah, when he, when he was in a coma, they were like, this is going to be two, three months worth of recovery. You're going to be at least two weeks at Elkhorn at the recovery center. And you're going to have to do all this. And that young man stood up and walked out of the hospital a couple of days later. And they didn't have anything. They didn't have any answer for it. In fact, what the doctors ended up saying was uh, his recovery is highly suspicious. Okay, I don't know what that means. You were the ones that were examining him. All I can tell you is what happened between the time he had went into a coma and the time he came out. What happened in between was Jesus. And that's a fact. You guys have heard that kid's voice on this on this show before. That's Cody. But I'm telling you, I saw a miracle in that. And I saw another one where a kid had OD'd on some drugs from another church. And that all of us is the body of Casper, the church of Casper. Who cares which building you go to? The church of Casper came in and fell on our faces in the park across the street. And we prayed. And we prayed for that kid. And his dad came out of that 
hospital and he said his body is shutting down his muscles are starting to atrophy his his kidneys are filling with acids he was dying and so it came time to pray and the first pastor that stepped up to preach i'm just going to tell you this about him he was not part of the charismatic churches he was from a liturgical church and he said we're not buying that because we have a God that answers prayers. And he started praying, and then the next person, and the next person, and the next person. And one of the great things was is that one of the other pastors uh, from another church is the one that buttoned it all up. And he ended it with that strong thing that we end a lot of meetings with in the Lutheran church, and that most churches, they, they utilize this from time to time, but... You know, if you're in a recovery program, you're definitely going to know it. But the Lord's Prayer. And to listen to all. All those people. Lift up the Lord's Prayer. In a single heart, in a single mind. was incredible. And yeah... That kid walked out of that hospital alive. And the only difference between his death and his new life was Jesus. I've watched miracle after miracle. I watched one of the ladies from my church that they said that she was going to need an eye replacement. Now she's had them before. Where they they had to transplant a new eye into her, and she tells me the other day, I said, "Well, you can't leave town till I pray over you." So I went over there and prayed with her. I said, "Do you believe?" And she does believe. I watched her healed before. I she says, "I do believe." And she goes, "But the doctors say these ulcers are too big in my eyes, and more than likely we're going to have to do this." And she was very upset. And we prayed, and I can see on her face the trust. Now, if that is not the Holy Spirit, you tell me what is. No, it's not speaking in tongues, and no, it ain't any of those things, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But I'm telling you, the Spirit is alive in that person. And Gwen, when she was prayed over, she accepted what Christ, she says, I received that. She said she received what God was about to do. And then her husband post on Facebook. Well, it turns out it's not what they thought. What? It turns out that it's not what they thought. She just needs some eye drops and to take a little bit of medication and her eyes will get all better. When she was leaving town, they were convinced that they would be down there for several weeks and she was going to lose her eyesight. And God restored her God restored her. I am honestly, honestly, at this point in my life where I understand why Christ has brought me into Prince of Peace Lutheran Church. And it isn't because of the name Lutheran. But it is because of the things that are starting to transpire through that church. 
because God is working through a willing people. And that we're seeing the unification of the city of Casper's pastors slowly come together. I've seen him try this numerous times over history. But what we're seeing here is instead of an organized group, what we're seeing is them just coming together and praying with each other from time to time or singing together from time to time or just being thankful and loving each other whenever they see each other in public. And what's happening is we're no longer going to be the Lutheran church or the non-denominational church or the Baptist church. What we're going to be is, well, and all your others too. (laughs) So if I forgot you, I'm sorry. But what we're going to be is just the church of Casper. And our house happens to be a Lutheran house. And your house happens to be a Baptist house. And that's how you worship. And that's how you come. Man, I ain't there to judge that. And you're not there to judge me. But what we are here to do is praise a holy God and be a part of his family. And I am just so thankful that God has called me to this. I'm so thankful that he has called me out because I would have what he needed, apparently. Who knows? Who knows why he calls me? I'm a knucklehead anyway, right? But man, things are changing. The world is changing. And we can look at all the bad of it, or we can look in the midst of the darkness how bright how bright his people can be and miracles can start to take place in a place where miracles nobody would have ever said yeah the holy spirit's so alive over there they're going to see healings left and right they've seen four i don't know i think one was enough but i'll take a hundred thousand if you'll give them so i'm telling you we're going to see demons delivered from people We're going to see people's hearts turn to Christ. We're going to see the dead raised. (laughs) And we are going to travel from the land of the dead to the land of the living because Christ is calling us out of our graves. I am so, so blessed to start to understand the things of the liturgy, to understand these simple things is that when we read things from the prophets, when we read things from the book of Deuteronomy, when we read things from Leviticus, when we read things from the old law, we'll just say, Moses, Moses read those things out loud. Nehemiah read those things out loud. Think about that when you're saying them. When you are reading the Bible You are not just reading it by yourself. When you are saying these words out loud, they have been echoed throughout time. How incredible is that? And when we are saying the prayers back and forth in the church, they've been said for thousands of years back and forth to the people. It is God's word not returning void, but literally echoing throughout eternity. When we sing the Psalms, bear in mind, Jesus as a young man sang those Psalms when he was in synagogue. When we tell the gospel message, we are repeating what the apostles were looking at. As they watched 
Christ set the world free. How can you not want that in your life? I understand why I am called to where I am called. And I am greatly honored as we had this direction. We're a long way from those prayers said in a jail cell. And we're a long ways from that first message I preached. But I didn't come this far to only come this far because there's more. There's more. There's so much more. So what my prayer for you today is, is that you start to discover why you're where you're at. And if you're not where you want to be, ask him where he wants you. And I just thank you for taking out, you know, whatever we got today, an hour of your time. Just to listen to me talk a little bit, not have a guest today, not have a big show. Just kind of reveal to you what's going on. My shows all get caught back up. I'm just, it's summer and we're just really trying to process things. Oh, and I cannot lie to you. I have been working on my Harley Davidson that I got hit on last year. (laughs) I can't lie to you about that. It's almost done, by the way. I should be riding it next weekend. Don't worry, I'll put on a helmet this time. I'll try to be a little bit safer. And you guys out there listening to this in a car, please don't run over anybody on a motorcycle. It could be me. I just want to tell all of you, Jesus loves you. That is an actual fact. When I say that, I don't say that just because it's a phrase that I use. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ loves you. He loves you so much he gave his life for you. And I love you. And I don't say that just because we've never met. You're like, how could you love me? I'm telling you. I'm making a conscious decision every day to love the people in front of me, even the people that make me insane sometimes. I love you. I love you well enough to actually do whatever is necessary to make sure that you hear from Christ. I love you enough that I'll give you all I got, but I... Bear in mind, I'm always going to be pointed towards the king. So when I say Jesus loves you and I love you, and there's nothing you can do to stop us, it's not because we want to challenge you. What I'm telling you is it isn't based in what you say, do, think, or feel. And in order for me to be more like Christ-like or working my way that direction, I have to remind myself. I have to love the way Jesus loved. So I pray you well, and I close you with this. Merciful Father, I am just so thankful for the listeners of this show. And I'm thankful for my nephew who gave me this equipment. Let me not waste my time in here. But let me share your story all the way. Lord, I ask for blessing on each person listening to this, that their hearts would be changed, 
Not that they have to be a different person, but that they no longer have to be who they've been. You have won the war. Let us be smart enough to surrender to the winner. I say this humbly in the name of our Lord, Savior, and risen King, Jesus Christ. Amen. For questions or comments, please email us at info at thebarbarianprophet.com. The Barbarian Prophet is a registered trademark of Barbarian Media Group. Listening to this podcast may cause excitability, euphoria, and overall sense of happiness and the realization that you're not alone. Discontinue use if reddened skin or a rash develops. Side effects may include random hugging, crying out loud, smiling while alone, and happy crying combined with snot bubble development. Do not use during church service. No animals were harmed in the making of this podcast. Are you actually still listening? Seriously, we have nothing more to say except for that one thing that was really, really, really important, but let's wait until the next show for that.